What day is it, Neil? It's Thursday. It must be the day we actually feel like doing a podcast. Yeah, this is Edward Marlowe. I'm with Neil Bradley here in Murray, Kentucky. And this is for those who inquired and for those who inquired. Um, yeah, it's been a hot minute, Neil. Uh, we had a podcast a couple weeks ago, you know, where we were able to talk about some things while I was on my way to vacation. Then I got yeah. back from vacation and I jumped right in to my new job at WKDZ right. in Katy's, Kentucky. So I've been really busy. It's tough sometimes because you and I talk all the time, but to not do a podcast, it's odd. It's an odd feeling to go a week without a podcast because mm-hmm. uh, we haven't done that really in about the last six years. There have been maybe a handful of weeks, a couple handfuls of weeks, uh, where we haven't had a podcast. It's been strange. Uh, Vacation-wise, you do anything neat? neat? Yeah, I got sick. Got uh, sick. How about that? Was that on the agenda? It was not on the agenda. Yeah, I, I got sick. My wife got sick. Luckily, that was toward oh, the God. tail end of it. Uh, but no, we actually. So, one of the great things about my vacation that was really a blessing, uh, and I strongly recommend anybody do this, uh, we were in. New Bern, North Carolina, which is where my brother-in-law and sister-in-law live, uh, and my nephew. And the, we went to, you know, go hang out with them, stay with them, kind of see them before everything gets wild uh, with the summer. And so one of my favorite things to do while I'm there, and I'm not a big beach guy, but one of my favorite things to do when I'm there is to go to Shackelford. And Shackelford is a natural reserve. It is a legal open beach that you have to ferry over to. But once you get there... If you're lucky, it is one of the only colonies of Spanish horses that exist in the United States. And it's because multiple shipwrecks near the Outer Banks, these horses that were on Spanish ships, like this is where they went to, basically the horses went to be safe, to colonize, so to speak. They were like, well, well. We'll colonize here because, like, you know, our owners didn't make it. Yeah, Uh, (laughs) But we're good. And so Spanish horses became natural to the island. And so now they're studied by both Duke and North Carolina University, uh, or the universities of uh, North Carolina Duke. So it's it's really, you can get close to the horses. They're they're naturally on this habitat while we're beaching, so to speak. Right. Um, And when they're especially reproducing, which is pretty common i wouldn't necessarily say they breed like rabbits but you know when a new you know when a foal joins the herd um and they're in the middle of you know negotiating turf and things like that there's about 115 116 horses it's absolutely beautiful and you know you see a a mare come through um you know with his harem so to speak it's beautiful to see them all take on like on a imagine like an, an inlet of salt water where they're eating like saltwater shrubs and stuff like that. And I got some beautiful photos is what I was getting at. Mm-hmm. That it's beautiful photography. Uh, and some of it that I'm probably going to get printed up and, and put up on my, on my living room wall. So it's beautiful stuff. Uh, it's a really rare sight to see when they come close to humans. They're not disturbed by humans. They've been there for 200 years. Mm-hmm. They, they know when people come to the Island. Oh, Hey, well, Kids are going to be wanting to look at us, so they show up, and uh-huh. you know it's not like a carnival. You don't. I mean, they're still wild, but as long as you're respectful, you're not yelling, screaming, and things like that. They will literally just stride by you as they're enjoying a day on the beach, and it's mm. beautiful. Okay, so I, I, I recommend never that. heard of them. I, I recommend like I'd recommend not only just the research, but I recommend like 
I recommend people going. I, it's a beautiful experience. And and the Outer Banks, Nicholas Sparks, I, I mean, everybody knows, you can go to the, the Outer Banks and have a beautiful time just somewhere along there. If you're not, you can go all the way further south to Beaufort, which is all the way down to South Carolina, or you can come all the way up uh, to the to the really the outer reaches of the outer banks before you get to maryland and uh, it's beautiful it's all beautiful coastline well this next week um my wife and i are going on vacation uh she's going to universal city or universal or whatever that's called yeah in uh florida with her two sisters and her two nieces and nephew going to harry potter world and then i'm vacationing in my recliner and here in murray Okay. So I'm getting a vacation by not having to go. She's getting a vacation by going. So it's going to be a really glorious week. So you're going to watch a lot of miserable Cardinals baseball. I'd plan on watching some Cardinals baseball. I might not watch the Cardinals right now. But I do have the MLB package, so maybe I can watch someone who's playing well. Yeah, that's the Reds right now. Although They're playing well. Well, I mean, we're still under 500, but Who is this Jesse Winker guy? He's just uh, torching people right now. It's unbelievable. I, I, I'm just as surprised as you. Winker has always been a pretty solid hitter. I mean, you go look at some of his stats from the previous you know, five, six years. He's, he's been consistent. He's been a, a key rotation uh, player in, in the outfield. But to see what he's doing along with Nick Castellanos is unbelievable. I mean, they're two of the hottest outfielders right yeah. now, and they both happen to be wearing a Reds jersey. Now, I say these things. It was beautiful to get a sweep in St. Louis, first time since 1990 that we'd gotten a four-game sweep. But I think the beautiful thing about it is I don't know if it's going to mean anything. Uh, because, I mean, the Reds are hovering around 500, and now Sonny Gray's hurt, and Joey Votto's coming back. So it's like now health is becoming an issue here in the middle of the season as we get closer to the All-Star break. Again, the Reds just can't seem to peak above that 500 point, and 500 is not going to get us to the playoffs. But they're um, hanging around. The, you have to re- realize, except for the one year, the Cubs are always the Cubs. Yeah. Except for the one year, You're right. they're going to find a way to blow it. Yeah. Like you can usually always count on the Cubs. Even Cubs fans know this. As they're shaking their fist at me, like, yeah, he's right. But yeah. still, I don't like him for saying it. Yeah, no, I mean, you're you're not wrong at all. Uh, uh, yeah, and it's it's so hard. We're talking about Major League Baseball before the All-Star break. It's almost hard to take anybody seriously. Yeah. I don't mean that like that sounds. I mean, if you're off to a hard start, typically that, that bodes well. Like, I mean, look at what the Boston Red Sox have done. What, do they have, like, 21 wins now? Where they're come from behind, yeah, out of their first fifty-five games or something like that, it's just something absurd. Like forty yep. percent of their wins have been come from behind. That's great, and that's certainly something that you write a feature about and and dig around for uh, to figure out like what's going on. How are you so successful? You literally just traded your best player two years ago. Why is this occurring? Um, hello, Mookie Betts. Um, but I mean, we all know the Dodgers. You know, started out a little slow. You know, they were nicked up and banged up. Hey, Fernando Tatis hasn't played all the games. You, then you look at the Angels. I think one of the hottest stories in Major League Baseball is Shohei Otani just absolutely murdering not only 100-mile-an-hour fastballs but as they're a They're buried. Yeah. I mean, they're not right now unless they pick it up. They're not going anywhere. No, they're not. But you still have Mike Trout and Shohei Otani, which blows my mind, Neil. I know you and I have talked a little bit about it on the show, but it, it is odd to see – two stars like that be so successful and the team not be so successful. Yeah. That's odd to me. And it's odd to me that the Angels haven't put the right pieces around those guys. Otani looks healthy. There's no doubt about it. He's probably as healthy as he's been since he's been in Major League Baseball. Trout is still Trout. I mean, his OBP is, what, 9,000? 
Yeah. I mean, he might not hit one extra base hit over a month, but he's going to get on base because pitchers fear him so much. So that's I, I don't get why you have those two guys doing what they do and you're not more successful. Well, and Jared Walsh, he pushed Albert Pujols out of the lineup pretty much and onto another team. Uh, but Anthony Rendon, he's not having a good year. He's not hitting very well. I know he's battled a few injuries himself. So I don't really know where that's going. I am gonna. I didn't get to see game last year because, well, hardly no one got to see a game last year. Yep. But I am going uh, the middle, about the middle of July, to see the Giants, and in and, and two of the games, uh, Saturday and Sunday games. So, Giants cards. Yeah, Giants cards. Oh, that'd games. be great. I'm hoping to get to a Cincinnati Reds game uh, later on down the season. Uh, also hoping to get to a Titans game. Uh, WKDZ is a. Uh, yeah. Titans affiliate. We used to be, so I know they used to get a few tickets. Yeah, and I want to see Julio Jones. I cannot wait. That acquisition was unbelievable. We've talked a lot about, you know, vacations and, you know, other sports and things like that. Uh, this is a this is a racer first region podcast in a lot of ways. And I guess so. I want to get into that. Let's I, do it. The main thing that I wanted to bring up was uh, Dean Hood's extension. Uh, for those who inquired on, on June 4th, this happened just within the last six days. Uh, Murray State University Board of Regents at their Board of Regents meeting last Friday voted to extend the contracts of Dean Hood and his staff. Hood did get a little bit of that extra extension, but brings his staff with him through 2022 uh, to 2024 and a quote further strengthens the institution's commitment to a football program that consistently competes for OVC championships. Now, uh, without talking about any sort of stats and, and figures and things like that, what when I see that comment, I know what I think. What do you think, Neil? When you hear something, and again, that's Go Racers, that's Dave Winder, that's that's Murray State University putting a statement out. But to hear the statement, commitment to a football program that consistently competes for OVC championships. Well, I think they found their guy is what that says to me. Yeah. Uh, we're not going to go looking. We're not going to give him a, well, let's give him a one-year extension and keep our fingers crossed that things go well. Just the way he ran the program, uh, the the foundation on which this the success of this past season was built on, I think they can see that continuing, not just for next year but for years to come. Uh, I, I'm going to remain shocked that they extended him because here's why. And I what? No, because I can't believe we got him in the first place. All right. Uh, you know that that job was available. I'm like I don't know who you're going to get. Usually it's going to be a young candidate. And then I heard. Dean Hood, first of all, he's actually interested in the job? Are you kidding me? And when they got him, I thought it was a no-brainer. And as you can see from the results, it should have been a no-brainer. Yep. The fact that they got him to come here, and now they're they're uh, going to get the uh, reap the benefits of that decision. And I think the fact that they're locking him up for a few years uh, in, as a contract, that is uh, exactly what they needed to do. And it really bodes well when you go out and recruit what kind of solid ground is your uh, head coach on? Pretty solid ground, and, uh, and the folks around here are really happy with Dean. I think the number one thing that I take away from it, though, and I'm really curious to see where the facility's master plan is headed. Right. Um, when I see commitment, I know that Murray State football needs more than just coaching commitment, mm -hmm. to, in my mind. Oh, uh, sure. I, I'm, I'm taking a look at an, uh, a longer plan. Where are you going with Roy Stewart Stadium? Where are you going with the facilities that are involved with Murray State football? Not just even necessarily the stadium, but I guess even the intricacies, the um, 
the 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 valves and the atriums that are inside of Roy Stewart Stadium because you're not exactly going to just walk in and say we're blowing this thing up and building a new football stadium. Uh, it serves as such a multi-purpose facility that it would be hard to actually do that. Roy Stewart Stadium, as you well know, Neil, but to our listeners, serves hundreds of different athletes, not just the football program. Uh, there's weight training. There's rifle. There's you know, uh, f- uh, offices. Weaver Center. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, for the, with the computers for students. Exactly. So where do you take – like I said, when I think of the football program, I don't just necessarily think of coaches and players. I'm also thinking about what's going to be the commitment to the weight training program, what's mm-hmm. going to be commitment to diet, uh, the dietary functions that are involved in a football program. What's Where's the commitment to uh, improving perhaps scholarship allocation Um you know the the Weaver Center. Like, uh, um, what, what do you what do you do with that? Do you how do you improve it? How do you bring it to the next level? We've already seen the racer room, the mm-hmm. the Dennis uh, Dennis Jackson racer room. You know, now all of a sudden, well, how much better is that going to be? Where's the where is there going to be a financial commitment to that? So I, I could keep going on and on about all the different accoutrements that a, that uh, are part of that stadium, but there's just. Are you looking up the word accoutrement? I need the thesaurus. <laughs> I actually don't know if I can spell it. I think it's A C C O U T R E M E N T. I'll get it later. Go ahead. Accoutrement. Sorry about that. Uh, <laughs> I think. I think. W- just when I think about the bells and whistles, there's a better word for it. I mm-hmm. guess. I, oh, I know what that means. Bells and whistles. <laughs> the bells and whistles of Roy Stewart Stadium, f- to the seating, to the press boxes, to everything like that. W- where does that? come in this commitment i know that coaching and the players are probably the foundation the brick and mortar of the, the proverbial brick and mortar but then where are we going from a facilities master plan standpoint of brick and mortar for real i know kevin had that we uh i had him on as a guest on a show and he did discuss the master plan sure pre-pandemic yeah because that set everybody back because there's money that had to be spent that you didn't expect to have to spend there was money you were expecting to come in that didn't come in, and suddenly everybody just for this past year you're hoping to survive. Yeah, you you weren't thinking about let's build this, let's build that. At least at the FCS level uh, in football, uh, because it just wasn't going to happen. So it'll be interesting to see. I know we have Kevin. We have a morning show on our station, and I think we're going to have him on. I think it's in July, but it might be August. And I'm going to probe him on how that master plan has been sidetracked for a bit absolutely. and how he plans to get it back on track. But the thing is, Kevin has the master plan. Oh, absolutely. He has it, and it, it is going to work. It takes money, and it takes a commitment. But uh, I think the fact that, uh, first step, you have to hire somebody that can win for you and that they, is really good for the community. And I think he has that, not just with Dean Hood, Matt McMahon, Dan Skirka, has a bunch of coaches that do the right thing, you know, Kara Amundsen, uh, Rochelle Turner, on and on and on and on, that the community likes, and that's what you have to do. Then they can get out, and they you don't feel bad when they're having you know asking for help with their program because people are willing to give. Well, you think about volleyball and soccer too. Exactly. And there. I there mean, you it go. goes on and on. There's and uh, and 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 now you know, obviously, you're in the middle of a men's golf coaching search. Yeah. And then of course you have women's golf with Velvet Milkman. There's a lot of success at Murray State University. You're right. We're not just accidentally mentioning all the sports, uh, you know, Caetano uh, with uh, tennis and, you know, track and field was really successful this year, too. So you talk about from the top bottom, from your tertiary, you know, secondary sports all the way to your, you know, I, I, I just hate to say it, but it's true. It's your money pumpers. Well, your basketball, it is what your football, it is. It is what it is. It is. And baseball, even this year, really turning it up. Yeah. You've got 
success at all these different levels. So, again, I hate to say it like that, but Roy Stewart Stadium kind of is, <clears throat> despite how old it is and probably in need of some a major repair um, or facelift at least, it is a kind of a heart of the campus, so yeah. to speak. You've got the CFSB Center, and it's extremely important. I'm not attacking that. But, like, you've got a parking lot, you've got a football stadium, and, and homecoming especially, <clears throat> excuse me, really gravitates around that centerpiece uh, of, of campus with the baseball field, yeah. softball field, basketball all nestled around it. So how does that all fit together? Speaking of that, did you did you see the thing where they really – you can take an RV, it, it's, a, it's an annual thing for the football thing, and park it inside the stadium this year. Take an RV, really? For football games. Oh, that's big. I missed that. That's awesome. That's huge. Bring it inside the stadium, park it there, watch the games do your thing. So now wait a but second. It, you have to write a check for it. You can still park out in the parking lot, but to bring it inside, it's... You mean on the inside, on the left side there? That's yeah, I don't know exactly where they'll put them, but it's I hope they just put them in the end the zone. But yeah, you'll have a spot Just put a, if you're put, willing to write the check. Put like a brick of RVs in the end zone and you that's can awesome. run into them. I love it. That's one of the things I love. The tent city Neil, that's thing. Bra- that's breaking news to me. That's huge. And the reason they don't do it all the time, well, they have signs back there and sponsorships yeah they could do it all the time but you can't tell people hey buy a sign and then we're going to block it up with everybody there partying and stuff and no one will ever see yours well they, that's the reason they can't do that look not that i'm going to talk about previous coaches but i want to i just i think it's worth mentioning uh chris hatcher and mitch stewart both mentioned in their tenures here that they would have loved at some point to bring on a tent city like atmosphere yeah. i know you can't do tent city every time because it takes a lot and it can ruin the infield. But you bring in that atmosphere, and you all of a sudden have a college football atmosphere. Heck yeah. So now you're telling me you're going to have a bunch of RVs lined up, grilling, boozing, whatever. Yeah. There's a limit. I yeah. mean, they're not going to have 200, but there is a limit. They have so many spots. Even 15, and each, 50, and each RV having 10 people, if you had 150 people in that infield, yeah, that's going to bring a better atmosphere for college sure. football. I, and I, th- I think by rights, who break- knows what they're cooking down there? This is breaking news to me. I need to go down there pre-game and you know check out, be sure that they're not cooking anything that doesn't need to be served to people. I, <laughs> I, I'm willing to, you know, sample a brat, yeah, a couple of dogs, maybe a burger. Be yeah. sure that you know they're safe. I'll do a keg stand. Yeah, we could do do some things like that. <laughs> but but yeah, yeah, they mentioned that uh, that's some of the things they have new for 2021. So last year, kind of weird. We played in the spring. Boom. Here's some new stuff for you. Unbelievable. Wow. Well, Neil, I appreciate that nugget. I didn't know that was coming. That's uh, That'll be really interesting, and that really will change the atmosphere. You take a look. You've already been looking at the schedule. No night games for football this year. Other than the Thursday night opener, you have the Mississippi Valley State. Yeah. Uh, but at, at the moment, there are no night games on the schedule. Now, the Bowling Green game kicks off at 5 o'clock Eastern, but it's a 4 o'clock Central, so if you're listening to it, by the time the game's over, 7 o'clock, it's still going to be daytime here. It's yeah. in September. Uh, so unless the game at SEMO is played at night or the Tennessee State game at Titan Stadium, uh, Nissan Stadium it is now, if they play that at night, those are the only two potential night games other than the Thursday night game. You're not going to play that in the daytime, obviously, because they're playing it on Thursday to uh, draw the students in before they head out for the Labor Day weekend. Unreal, man. Yes, sir. RVs on the inside. Man, that's that's got me. You want to go get an RV now, don't I, you? Well, yeah, you know, <laughs> that millions of dollars that I make. But, man, that's wow, that's, that's that really is going to change the atmosphere. It will. Even if it's just three or four. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I, I mean, seriously, like I could go on and on about that because 
you know, I've always enjoyed the the flavor that Tent City always brought. And they, Me too. Every year they always say, oh, Tent City, stay behind the rope, keep quiet, keep the booze out, but 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 Come on now. You're not going to keep the kids and you're not going to keep the faculty and all that sort of stuff from not getting a little rowdy on the infield. You're certainly not. You can do your best, but you're not going to keep a red solo cup from not being filled with at least some sort of some sort of adult entertainment, and, you know, adult beverage. It's just I can't tell it, from up in the press box what's in them. I don't know the difference. It could be water. Could be. I don't know anything. Also, about could it. be straight vodka. But I don't know. It's not my business. No. Hey, uh, uh, don't ask, don't tell. <laughs> That's there. You, you know, go. That's uh, you know, I'm I'm not asking. Long as you're behaving, yeah. I have no issue with. I don't have an issue that. with it either. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're, it's a college football game. Look at the rest of the country and how they support and value what the college football game day experience is. Yeah. Uh, from the SEC to on down to the NAI ranks. I, I mean, look at how wild and crazy it got for Lindsey Wilson this year all the way to a championship. I mean, they, you celebrate. You have fun. You, you try to bring in a family atmosphere. And, and it, to be fair, uh, that's cordoned off. You know, your RVs, that's RV world. Mm-hmm. You, you got your families in the stands, their families in the stands. And everybody gets their own experience yeah. the right way. So I, I like it. Yeah, I like it. Well, without going too much further into that, we'll have a lot more football news as the summer rolls around. Obviously, they'll have camps. Be the first time, if you really think about it, COVID. Um, mm-hmm. As we start to, you know, motion toward what 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 may be some success. I know Andy Bashir will have his big press conference on June 11th regarding. Uh, discussions for Kentucky and, and where that's all headed. But, you know, a lot of mandates drop in the next 48 hours. So uh, it's going to be really interesting to see. We see vaccination rates improving in the state of Kentucky. We're past the 2.1 million mark. Uh, fall sports will very likely be a go uh, and almost, I would say, probably at full throttle. Uh, I wouldn't see why not. Yeah, the NCAA may come out with a few things like, you know, specific testing protocols and things like that uh, to continue to monitor uh, how you know how the pandemic's going, but as long as vaccination rates stay where they are uh, in the state of Kentucky, I see positive light ahead. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we say those things knowing that's going to impact the sporting atmosphere that we've already started to enjoy over the last month yeah. uh, with local baseball and softball. So um, in the meantime, uh, it's worth discussing. Murray State men's basketball camps are actually going on right now, and I believe Rochelle Turner's women's basketball camps are soon to follow. Um, and She had one for the younger ones, I think, earlier right. mm-hmm. in the last couple of weeks. But it's worth mentioning Murray State men's basketball, two young gentlemen that we talk a lot about uh, and we'll continue to talk a lot about, John Morant and Cameron Payne. And uh, one of them still currently in the playoffs. Uh, pretty deep run, it's looking like, for the Phoenix Suns. And uh, we've already mentioned Murray State football's facility. The uh, Hall of Fame is on June 16th, honoring 10 individuals. And I don't know if Cameron Payne. I think he's going to make it. Don't know if he's going to be in town. Which, for a good reason. For a good and we reason. knew that. Yeah. But we said, well, if things work out for him, he might not make it. But but again, he might. Well, it's looking more and more like he's not going to be able to be there. Yeah. And so let's, let's you know, Ja, obviously, you know, it's crazy that he's already looking at year three in the NBA. I mean, you've got the NBA draft. You've got guys like Terry Taylor working out now. Uh, the draft's coming up here in about a month and a half, six weeks, and uh, following the NBA Finals. And you've got this situation where you look at Ja in year two, and in 63 games, Neil, you know, he averaged 19 points per game, four rebounds per game, uh, 7.4 assists per game, shot 45% from the field, 30% from three, and 73% from the free throw line with 14 double-doubles one triple-double. Then you go to the playoffs, 
and he was he was remarkable. I mean, he just turned it. I mean, we've seen it time and again, and I know we've already talked a lot about it, but now that it's over, you know, in his two play-in games, we've got some numbers right here, his two play-in games, which were against the San Antonio Spurs and the Golden State Warriors, two teams that were annually in the playoffs, typically there, 43 minutes averaged in both of those games, averaged 27.5 points per game, Man. six rebounds, six assists, two and a half steals in the two play-in games averaged. Uh, only four and a half turnovers, shot 45%, shot 47% from three, and only 50% from the free throw line, which I know that's probably – free throw line and the arc are probably two places he'll focus a lot on in the offseason. Yeah. But then you move on to the postseason, and John Morant became the first player his age, first time in the NBA, first, 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 first visit in the playoffs to score more than 140 points and more than like 50 assists in five straight games, like combined. Unreal. Unreal, Neon. Five games, he averaged 40.6 minutes per game. They played him as much as they possibly could play him, almost. And he averaged 30 points per game against the Utah Jazz. 30. Yeah. Unbelievable. Against the Jazz. Against the Jazz. Not, against the one-seeded Jazz. Not the worst team in the league. One of the best teams in the league. Potentially could be an NBA champion. Averaged 4.8 rebounds, 8.2 assists, about half a steal, only three and a half turnovers. Shot 48.7% from the field, which was a season-high stretch, uh, and 32% from three and 77% from the free-throw line, including in Game 5, he went 5 for 9 from three in Utah. Unbelievable to see what he did in 200 minutes. Mm -hmm. I mean, honestly. I mean, just what he was able to do. And they were mostly at full strength. They had a couple guys a little banged up, dinged up, things like that during during different parts of the series. But in five games... John Morant absolutely went nuclear against the Utah Jazz to try and combat against guys like uh, Boyan Bogdanovich and you know and and Rudy Gobert who now just won his third. You think about Rudy Gobert just won his third Defensive Player of the Year award and what Ja did to him, like just absolutely deleted him from the defense. There were a couple times where Rudy obviously got his got way. a good block. He got a couple good blocks, block, yeah. but in the series in general, Ja took Rudy to school and I mean I know part of that you know you you look at jaw he kind of operates like a mosquito or like a like a like a water bug on top of a lake he just skates so quickly into the lane but to see what he was able to do and then you see just even in the last couple days he's dunking basketballs here in Murray working out I absurd stuff we're seeing from him and he's kind of taking on that next level meanwhile we mentioned these things Jaws documentary, Promised Land, just came out on Crackle. I think f- the first three episodes are available. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's free to watch. Haven't seen it yet. I, I recommend it. I, I don't necessarily think it's going to reveal a lot of different things that you and I haven't been you know, privy to or learned about or already read about um, or even experienced while we were you know, here covering him at Murray State. But there's a lot of interesting footage. Uh, and McMahon has a lot of really strong insight uh, going on with what, you know, his interviews also it was really cool to see pretty much the entire murray statements basketball staff uh interviewed in the first couple of episodes right really illuminating the type of teammate that he was and the experiences that he was able to provide not just for this university in this town but for his teammates for his coaches yeah uh one comment that caught me that i think was a little bit more surprising not necessarily surprising but it was informative is McMahon specifically in the in the in this documentary talked about how devastated Jaw was when they lost to Florida State, knowing full well he had an opportunity in front of him that was going to be unmatched in 
college basketball history to have gone from a zero star to a, a number two pick. Millions of dollars headed his way. His life was about to change. His family was about to change. You know, his his career trajectory was about to change. And yet he was borderline inconsolable after the loss against Florida State because he wanted to keep playing in the tournament. Yeah. And he wanted to keep playing with those guys. That was an interesting nugget from McMahon. I'm not saying I didn't see that or I didn't think that that wasn't possible, but it was interesting to hear McMahon talk about how he was so grounded in the moment in Hartford that he wanted to keep playing and he wanted to take on more teams in the in, in the NCAA tournament with those guys. Well, I remember the Racers had a great game plan. Let's let Florida State shoot the threes. They don't hit them well. And uh, we'll try to stop them on the inside, let John do his thing. And uh, Leonard Hamilton said, we're going to let John do his thing and try to stop everybody else. They did. And Florida State normally doesn't hit threes, and they made them right and left, and yep. suddenly the racers were in a hole they couldn't get out of. Yeah, no, and that's and that's part of it. And Jaw still had a good game, but yeah, he did. But I mean, you, I mean, they they had, uh, I believe it was Chris Kumaji, uh, Fiondu Cabangeli, um, Terrence Mann, who's now in the playoffs with the Los Angeles Clippers. I, they're good. Fiondu Cabangeli yeah. uh, plays for you know the Cleveland Cavaliers. I, these are I, Kumaji, I believe, is in the G League. I, Leonard Hamilton had a great team that year, and I believe they, they made the they make the Elite Eight. Is that right? I think, I think that's right. I, I have to go back and look. It's, yeah. They were really they were they were really good. I've and, slept since then. So. And he just <laughs> Hamilton just said, "Hey, if, if we spend too much time uh, trying to, I think he watched Marquette double team. Yeah, it's like and well, we, we can't do that. I'm just gonna let." But one guy on him, he's going to get his points, and let's hope no one else does. Yeah, and they and, and it worked well, out. Well, and it, not only did it work out, but I, I think it actually was a testament to the that how balanced that team was. Mm-hmm. Like Leonard Hamilton gave credit to Tevin Brown, gave credit to Darnell Coart, Breon Sanctious, you know, uh, KJ Williams, who had a really good game against Marquette. You know, he gave credit to the individual effort from those. Shaq Buchanan was really good against Marquette, mm-hmm. and it was like, okay, we're going to play man to man, and we're going we're going to body up. And and we're gonna play you straight up instead of just trying to squeeze Jaw out of his comfort zone. Because guess what, Jaw doesn't care if he scores zero points. He's gonna have seventeen yeah. assists. Yeah. So that was the difference. And you keep hearing that in this in this documentary too. That Jaw truly is a pass first point guard. I just sat here and talked to you about how he scored thirty points per game against the Utah Jazz. He also averaged a season best eight point two assists. During that stretch, like a one of the better stretches of, of his of his season, from a sharing the ball perspective. So, we move over to Cameron Payne, and you take a look at how good his regular season is. Uh, we've talked a lot about his numbers, but you take a look at his postseason. In eight games now, Neil, he's averaging in the postseason eleven point one points per game. So season high. He averaged ten point five last year in the eight games in the bubble. He's turned his game up to a different level. Now in the playoffs, and now the Phoenix Suns are two and zero against the Denver Nuggets, and the MVP Nikola Jokic. So it's like you know, here in eight games, not only are they kind of cruising, he's playing a season high twenty two minutes a game, averaging eleven point one points, season high two point nine rebounds, uh, a little bit lower on assists three point zero, season high in steals, uh, and uh, yeah, it's just like here we are. I'm trying to look at some other numbers here really quick. Not shooting as well, 42% from the field instead of 48 like he did in the regular season. Three-pointers are about the same, 41%. Hasn't missed a free throw 
in the playoffs. Hasn't missed a free throw. That's what you want out of your second unit point guard. And we keep talking about this, Neil. I mean, he's got to be in line for a decent payday. Oh, yeah. I'd have to think the Phoenix Suns lock him up in maybe like a two- to three-year deal that's kind of like in that $10, $15 million range. Um, you know, knock on some you know, healthy wood here that you know he stays healthy and keeps producing in the playoffs. And who knows, man? Not only will he might not mit, you know he might not make the Hall of Fame game or the Hall of Fame banquet, but I mean he might he might not be here until like July. <laughs> I mean if they if they make right. I mean if they make the finals, yeah. I mean it's extremely possible the way they're playing right now. Right. And it's like I was saying pre pre broadcast, Neil. Like what Cam is doing is buying so much f- freshness. Um, He's just providing such a lift for a guy like Chris Paul, who at 36 years old, same age as me, is out there still diamond 15 and 15 a game during the playoffs, needs needs that lift. He's 36 years old. He needs that break. He's one of the oldest guys in the league, but still one of the greatest point guards to ever play the game. And so Cam is providing that true lift that both he and Devin Booker need to, to have the energy to finish games. Um, and you see... This last game, one twenty-three to ninety-eight, they just absolutely annihilated Denver, and uh, and Cam was a big part of that. You know, he had seven points, three rebounds, and an assist. Played nineteen minutes, shot about forty percent from the field. That that's what you need uh, from your bench, and when your bench can do that, your veterans, your starters, can go out and do special things. Uh, it's great to see him have this run, and uh, just to think, two Murray State guards who came through are enjoying this kind of success. In the postseason, uh, I think we really enjoy it. Yeah, absolutely. One final note about Murray State men's basketball. This uh, came out earlier this week. It does look like there is a inked-in date for Murray State versus Auburn. Uh, it's perfect timing, December 22nd, 2021. Men's basketball, Murray State, will be going to Auburn. They were supposed to play this game last year. Obviously, the pandemic trimmed things up a bit. This is the back end, I believe, of that two-for-one. Uh, but that's going to be a fun game. Auburn's had a really nice recruiting class. Uh, hilariously enough, Wendell Green from EKU about that? now down at Auburn. <laughs> Can't get away from the racers. Yeah, uh, But that'll be fun. That'll be a lot of fun. Auburn's had a really nice recruiting circuit, uh, recruiting class over the last year. Uh, Bruce Pearl is Bruce Pearl. Uh, he'll obviously have some great nuggets, some great quotes per usual. Uh, but that'll be a great game that'll likely be on the SEC Network. Uh, and, I'm, and I'm sure you're looking, you and Kenny are looking forward to calling that. Should be fun. They, they love these kind of trips. Uh, first of all, it challenges them as far as the non-conference schedule. That part's good. But also, December 22nd, they're near a large airport. So uh, the players who are going to go home for Christmas, that'll be their chance. They'll go home. I think we open OVC play on the 30th. And generally, I, I hate to call it that, but you know how it is. Sometime around the probably the 27th, they'll play a Sisters of the Poor game, someone that even if they came in and stunk, could still win by 15 or 20 points. So I, that game hasn't been announced. I do know we open the season at home on the 30th of December. Yeah, that's uh, that's going to be here before we know it, Neil. I know. I don't want to wish it away, but that's uh, – man, it's moving fast. Summer's going to be moving fast. You know, you take a look at – uh, you, you mean really? You just take a look at how fast baseballs move. The Olympics will be here fairly soon. Um, we, my wife and I watched uh, the dishwasher. We watched Simone Biles the other night win her seventh, you know, unprecedented national championship. Unbelievable how it's all just going to blow through the summer super quickly. Um, and we haven't even gotten to the fact that you know, high school track and field. 
uh, Class 1A, 2A, and 3A are going on as we speak uh, in Lexington, Kentucky. Really looking forward to the photography that will come out of that from Ryan Hermans and Lexington Herald Leader in the Courier Journal. And then, of course, you've got sectional baseball and softball. Uh, where locally Lyon County won their first regional championship ever in their 74-year school history. Great story by uh, Kevin Patton there and a couple of other reporters that were on the scene for that. And then, uh, you know, McCracken, you know, wins championships in baseball and softball. Softball back on the back on the turf since uh, – back on the win column for the regional championship, first time since 2017. And then uh, they're playing uh, – <laughs> their reward is they get to play 30-win Butler. Oh, right boy. out of the gate, yeah, two that? two top seven teams in the region or in the state. Yeah, uh, we'll we'll square off at John Crop and then McCracken, I believe, plays Bowling Green. Uh-huh. Uh, so uh, in their sectional, so it'll be it's gonna be really looking for. I'm really looking forward to seeing what Tony Hayden and uh, you know for softball and Zach Hobbs for baseball do. Zach, uh, Zach of course, you know, formerly here of Callaway County. Uh, a lot of people still following what he's doing and what the Mustangs are doing. Those two teams have tough tests in front of them, but if they pass those. You know, might be might be fun. Might be some deep, deep runs in store for them. But, um, Neil, I want to, real quick, before we talk about uh, Connie Kiesling jumping into the Hall of Fame for the Ohio Valley Conference, you were at Murray State Baseball uh, for some pretty unique opportunities. Tell us a little bit about what was going on in Jackson, Tennessee, and how special it was for the racers to make it to the championship game. Well, it was my first trip to that ballpark, and uh, I really liked it. Good place to watch a ball game, very easy to get in. It's where the Jackson Generals originally were. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and it, was, uh, it was just a blast. Uh, kind of had a section almost to myself because uh, I, I guess most people sat in an upper section, so I got down there kind of behind the racer dugout, not right behind it, but where I could see really well. And uh, I really enjoyed it. I saw Tony Brandon there. Tony was there. We we were able to sit by one another and converse a little bit during it. But saw two terrific games. I mean, this team had to to battle. This this was the Saturday I was there. Right. Uh, and they they had to win the first game to get into the championship round. Uh, battled tooth and nail. Got behind. Came back. I think they had a, a grand slam in that first. Was that, was that the first game they had it? And then um, yeah. then they got the the walk off wild pitch. I've never seen that. Uh, in the uh, that one went to extra innings, I think. Right, that happened in the tenth. That's right. Yeah, bottom of the tenth, they uh, I think had the bases loaded, uh, two out. That was uh, against Austin P. Right, it's Austin P. Yep. Strikeout, but the ball gets back to the screen. The racers score the winning run, and they're able to celebrate on a strikeout. Then the next game, they pounded Semo ten to nothing, but they kind of used up all their pitching, and they got to the next day. Their fingers crossed, open for the Sunday uh, game against uh, Shane Burns, and uh, Shane just. Uh, struggled a little bit early on, and the racers really didn't have an answer. Lost ten to nothing that day, but that was a magical Saturday. That's a fun team to watch. They hit well. They made great defensive plays. Uh, it was just a just a lot of fun to watch this team. Uh, key pitching, uh, made big outs when they needed to. That was the day that I'll I'll remember that team for was that Saturday. I think the really tough part about it, you would have loved to have not gotten. You know, a bit, you know, smacked around in the championship game. I get that. Right. But SEMO was that good. I mean, that's mm-hmm. the tough part. I mean, if, correct me if I'm wrong here, but they were the one seed. Yeah, right? they, yeah, they were. So, I mean, at least the top two teams, Racers were the two. Mm-hmm. Top two teams made the championship game. Racers got there in pretty dramatic fashion. Yeah. Uh, it was, I mean, it's absolutely huge that they were able to just kind of wall up in the first place. But it does seem like maybe Semo sandbagged a little bit, you know, but, brought out their big time stuff in Sunday. But they played three games. The Racers had the lead and lost the lead in the bottom of the eighth inning of the first time they met. Right. Lost a one run game, 
pounded them in game two, then got pounded in game three. So all in all, it's pretty even. Pretty when even you take series. A look at the the three game series that they played. Yeah. So I mean, the one thing that I will say, first of all, and I want to make sure to get this nugget out there, I, and I know it's been out, but like first time it's, to make the championship game, the first time since two thousand three. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's pretty. Last time I checked, that's eighteen years. Yep. That's old enough to vote. That's a long time to go without a championship appearance. So to actually get there, I think number one. That's a that's goal accomplished. Check yeah. it off. Heck yeah. You well, win when you're trying to grow your program. Right. You want to try to win championships. Well, you can't win championships <laughs> if you don't play for yeah, them. You and they at least played for one this playoffs. year. Playoffs. <laughs> then you the gotta, next year, maybe it's like, let's take it another step and win the thing. you got to win a game before you're thinking playoffs. Right. Like, you, but it's exactly right. You have to actually like get to that moment and then and relive it and or originally live it before you can actually like build on that. I think the number one, the number two thing uh, for racer baseball is just what you return. Mm-hmm. I mean, look at the depth, look at the recruitment, look at where this roster. I strongly suggest anybody go take a look at where this roster is headed for next season. You've got a lot of key contributors headed back, key pitchers, key offense, you know, key infielders, key utility men, and key recruits that are only going to develop and grow and continue to build this program in a positive direction. We say these things, and you take a look at even softball, softball is going to be doing the same thing, mm-hmm. you know. You know, Kara's going to be returning critical pieces for next season that are only going to keep building the program. You're not losing a hefty senior class that's going to just change the way that you think. Uh, that that that's what I see with Skirka's roster. Mm-hmm. I don't see. I mean, you see some. There are some key seniors, but you you see a lot of sophomores, freshmen, a couple juniors that are just like, okay, we'll be here next year, right behind exactly what we were doing this past season. And also, the, they had the OVC, uh, the president's meeting. They call them, I guess, the spring meeting. Uh, they have determined that they will revert to uh, the previous schedule for tournament play. So this year, cost-saving, COVID, four teams in almost all the tournaments, soccer, softball, baseball. They're going to go back to what they were before. So a uh, little bit better opportunity for everybody, and not as much pressure to make that final four. No, absolutely. I think you're exactly right. But but you you talk about that pressure. Uh, volleyball had the same issue. They almost made it. Yeah. Soccer yeah. won the regular season. Uh, baseball, you know, felt that pressure, and softball almost made it. Mm-hmm. You know, softball really. I mean, I understand it was a losing season overall based on a tough non-conference, but I mean, they really competed in conference play. They did. They were right there. So. You know, you go back to the old model, so it does look like the one-year scenario is what held out. And, um, you know, it's one of those things where it would be nice to see it all kind of revert back to normal. And and you'll see the racers in the postseason. Yeah, and I think we'll have – like I said, I don't – you know, if you could call them crowds at Jackson, but uh, they had a a decent gathering of fans and stuff. You know, most everybody – you didn't have to wear a mask down there either. Right. Most people had probably been vaccinated or were the, the age that they didn't really have to worry about it. But uh, it, it had a great feeling of normalcy, and I, I really enjoyed it. I was I was glad to watch. Speaking of returning back to some normalcy, and and this is just kind of a, an ad hoc question. I'm literally just kind of asking this on the fly. So if I catch you off guard, let me know. But have you heard any more talk on OVC expansion? Those talks I know have been dead silent. I emailed Kyle Schwartz and asked him if there would be a statement forthcoming, any information forthcoming, 
if uh, Beth would address that at the spring meetings and basically was told, paraphrasing here, that he does know discussions are ongoing. And that's about it. Mm. But discussions are ongoing, obviously, but mm. that's pretty much all we have right now. That's interesting. And I understand that that's not anything you can get out. You no, can't I, say School X is talking with us because yeah. their conference is going to go, what? You know, we've we've expressed this in the relationship thing. It's like yeah, absolutely. You know, you're dating someone and you're exploring dating someone else. That doesn't go well. No, absolutely doesn't and, go uh, well. What and in a even conference, if, it's even not if dating. It's a mutual, you're married. Yeah, even if it's a mutual <laughs> agreement, you're right. You definitely don't kiss and tell. Yeah, and you don't want to hear it from somebody else. No, absolutely. You, know? you don't want to hear. Oh, they kiss. So me. anyhow, that you know, it's a real sensitive thing. It's not. It's something that they can really talk about, and I understand that a lot of that's going to have to take place behind the scenes. Yeah, I just the reason that I even asked you and I got to thinking about it is because we're kind of getting to that line of demarcation where we know what we're going with next season. We saw what football did. I thought that was a clear indicator. This is our stopgap. Yeah, with football being like, here's what we're we're going to go with conference opponents getting a non-con measure, um, a non-con game, so to speak, to help alleviate what the scheduling will look like. Uh, you want your RPI to just not look like garbage. But I think for me, college basketball is different. You can go get your non-conference schedule and, and get get tricky with it, get mm-hmm. get slick, go get some fun non-conference games and have, have you know, whatever you agree to from, a, you know, from an athletic standpoint, go get it. But I just didn't know. We're kind of getting to the point now where we're pretty sure we know what the conference is going to look like for next season. But this is also the summer. We are today is June tenth, twenty twenty one. We would have to be getting, in my mind, and again, it's just my mind, which is a crazy bad place to be sometimes. You got to be thinking about the possibility of an announcement coming before August, one direction or another. I think it might be possible. I, I mean, I'm not. I'm, I'm not. I, that's just a hunch. That's not something I've heard. I'm just thinking about how conference realignment typically works. You, Fiscal years have already happened. Board of Regents are already buttoning up, you know, year in reviews and stuff like that. I'm talking about universities all across the country. Now is the time to say, okay, here's our QuickBooks. <laughs> here's our here's our here's our uh, annual numbers. Here's our taxes. Here's what we're doing. Here's what we can bring to the table. Thinking about this from a financial standpoint, now is the time where universities can say, this is the decision we're making. This is where we're headed. Now is that time in these summer meetings, spring right. summer meetings, to make the decision we're jumping. So if we're going to jump, we're going to start hearing splashing relatively soon. I would think I would think that'll happen. Either we will in the next month or two, or it'll go dead for a several month period. Yeah, and if it goes dead for a several month period, it probably just means talks are tabled, yeah. and they'll bring it up at another time. But I just keep thinking the water might splash. Yeah, I don't know how many splashes. How many teams that that will splash in? I, I don't know what the OVC is looking at. I keep hearing possibility between two to four. Um, could be zero. You know, could very well be zero. You never know. The the area of desperation isn't in any of the sports except for football because you if you were to lose another team or two, you start to fall under the automatic bid threshold. Right, and they can't be in a spot where that happens. That's why they really, really need to add at least one more football playing member, maybe two. And the, the easy thing, Moorhead, 
go back to scholarship football. Yeah, they want to. That'd be the easy thing. I have heard that through the grapevine, through specific sources, and I know you have too. They want to go back to non-scholarship football. If they had the money, I think they'd do it. And COVID-19, I think, really did a number on their possibility there. Now, here's what I would love to see, and I know you and I have talked about it. I'll reiterate it again. I know... (laughs) I know we're not necessarily a socialistic society, but I would absolutely love to see the conference breathe life into that football program by perhaps ponying up some sort of a, a kitty. Yeah, that'd so be great. We don't have enough money to do anything right now. That's true. We, we can't even feed the journalists at the OVC tournaments right now. That's actually true as well. Yeah, you're, you're not wrong so there. That's not happening. Maybe after a year of successful postseason – you can actually do that. But I appreciate you, Bernie, for throwing in your two cents. I mean, Ed, for throwing in your two cents there. You know, <laughs> he means well. Some people don't even mean well. I'll at least take that. Yeah. So, speaking of meaning well, and I wanted to close with this, because you actually knew her, you know, fairly well, and obviously a, a revered member of, of Murray State University, the pantheon of coaching that's come through uh, the, the school and all the different programs. Connie Keesling, uh this week, actually, uh, news from the Ohio Valley Conference, I believe she's already a member of the Murray State Hall of Fame. Yeah, went in in 2018. That's what I, I thought. That's, That's right. right. Yeah, very, very recently. Uh, I do believe I, I wrote a little bit about it. She uh, is now a member of the Ohio Valley Conference Hall of Fame. Neil, you've got some some brief numbers in front of you. What are you looking at for Connie's career at Murray yeah, State? Yeah, I mean, she won five OVC championships, 1987, 2001, 2, 3, and 7, and then four NCAA tournament appearances, 2001, 2002, 3, and 7. Uh, some of the, the great years in Murray State women's tennis, but uh, also just the way she carried herself. Connie was one of the friendliest, kindest people you'll ever want to meet. Left her mark on everything. Her teams, always high academics. They uh, time in, time out. Great. They won sportsmanship awards, academic awards. Everything you want from a coach to do for her team, she did that. One, uh, they left here great students and uh, left here uh, off the court as far as you know, great sportsmanship. And Connie was just one of the, one of those people. I don't know that I've ever run into anyone that ever had anything unkind to say about Connie. Connie's just a, just amazing. Uh, you could see with the great turnout she had at her Hall of Fame induction ceremony. Yeah, how, how so many people were so happy for her, and I was too. And it, I, I don't know that she ever. I don't know that I've ever seen her without a smile on her face. I didn't realize just an up, just really uplifting person. Yeah, looking at her bio, I did not realize at all that she played at East Tennessee State, both tennis and basketball, when they were members of the Ohio Valley Conference, mm-hmm. and that's and that she. I knew that Murray State was the only lead job she'd had, but she was actually a volunteer assistant women's basketball coach at Eastern Kentucky University, and that's per Dave Winder mm-hmm. uh, with uh, GoRacers.com. Uh, and Murray State University. So it's really interesting what a career that she's had uh, is now finally being decorated. Did a little quick count here. She is the 13th member from Murray State University to join the Ohio Valley Conference. It's worth actually listing who all's there. 1977 is Roy Stewart. 1979, J.D. Rayburn. 1988, Johnny Reagan. 90 was Benny Purcell. 97, Kayla Stroop, Dr. Kayla Stroop. Uh, 2000, Cal Luther, 2005, Bill Cornell, 2007, Steve Newton, 2008, Elvis Green, 14 was Margaret Simmons, 16 was Frank Beamer, 17 was Mike Strickland, and now 21, Connie Keesling. The so, great list. The great list. To me, the best fact that's not disclosed on the list, J.D. Rayburn, 
part of a team that beat Louisville in football 105 to nothing. That was he was on that team. He was on that team, yeah. Well, see the best 105 part, to nothing. I've written a lot about that game. <laughs> that is actually okay, it's actually worth mentioning this cuz I don't know if you and I've talked about it. The 105-0 game is where the Murray State alma mater came from. They sang the alma mater at that game really? for the first time in I swear it. How about that. I swear to goodness that's the first time that they sang cuz they wrote it um, I had to go back and find this in the Paducah Sun archives and the Murray Ledger and Times archives, which at that time I don't it wasn't the Murray Ledger and Times, I don't believe. Uh, but going back through, I, I'm almost certain I would put the money on the ponies, the money on Racer One, that that is the first time that they ever sang. And I believe it was a cheerleader that helped write it in church, and that cheerleader was from Paducah. I'd have to go back and find my story, and when I do, I'll text you to see if I'm right. But I, I did that research back in 2013. I wrote it for the Murray Ledger and Times for their backyard edition. That football game is more historic than people think. Not only is it one of the greatest beatdowns in college football history, because <laughs> it was an absolute beatdown. Do you know Louisville gained negative rushing yards in that game? It's incredible. Negative rushing yeah. yards in a time when you actually could only move the football via the – you could do it via the pass, but that was a newfangled thing. You ran the ball. Murray State ran for more than 700 yards that game. My goodness. Yeah. As a matter of fact, one of the better rushers from that game came from Paducah Tillman High School. I have to go back and look at all the names, but the history of that game, that is where the alma mater took place for the first time live. J.D. also, I talked to J.D. Uh, when he was, uh, was alive, and he, he told me a couple of stories that had nothing to do with football. Uh, they'd go to, they'd play Western in basketball. Sure. He didn't play. But went to the game. So what do you do to go to the game? You hop in the car and drive, ride a horse. No, they had the trains. They would, uh, you know, hop on the uh, the train, the freight train, uh, the open box car, and oh ride it into Bowling Green. Gosh, <laughs> you imagine from Murray? From Murray, yes. Could you? But you, could you imagine doing that now, or the trouble you might get into doing? But yeah, that's what they do. Yeah, just hop on there, get on in the train, and go. You can get off in Bowling Green, go watch the game, and then find one coming home and come back. To Murray. Oh my gosh! <laughs> right. Neil, I just can't imagine that's doing that. Fabulous. Yeah. Well, because it's the open elements. Yeah, and it's you know it's college boys doing it. I mean, you don't think you, you're, you, you're you bulletproof. Know, you know, like, somebody had a triple on. distilled whiskey with them. May or may not have. Do not know the answer to that. He never brought that part up. Oh but yeah, man. they go to the Western game and hop on a train and. You know, when I when he said train, I thought, oh, nice passenger. Here's my no, 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 not, not no. Like not, literally, that's like that's not how that worked. There's the open. You know, we've already unloaded all the wood or whatever off of it. It's open. Just hop up there and ride it and get off in Bowling Green and go watch the game. Unbelievable. Yeah. Well, you better catch the train on time, or you weren't gonna. <laughs> you weren't gonna. Dang, I was late to the game. Oh, there's another one coming. I mean, there's always <laughs> back then. There was always trains. I mean, no, no more. But back then, it was all the time. Well, I know we still have trains come through Murray now, but that is an unreal nugget. Yeah. I had no idea. I didn't either. That's, That's I, wild. Yeah. That's what he told me. I would have, I mean, obviously photography was different back then, but imagine if you could actually find a photo of guys jumping the train yeah. somewhere. You know, <laughs> maybe somebody's got that somewhere. Or maybe not. Maybe it's like, hey, yeah, don't take maybe, any photos. Yeah, we could get maybe, in trouble. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Neil? Well, it's been fun. It's great to catch up with you, obviously. Uh, it, like I said, it's always weird when we're not out. We, we don't record for a week, 
and wild things happen. It feels like an eternity. So we'll uh, we'll talk soon, Neil. I all appreciate right. it. Thanks. Thanks for being having me on your show. Being and having. Hey, it's That's all right. It. It's yeah. your studio. It's my show. We're a tag team.